Thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions, please email us at info at If you would like to support this ministry financially, visit us at capitalchristian.com and click the Give button in the top right corner. Awesome. Well, welcome to Capital Church. My name is Shane Grove. I am one of the pastors on staff here. Um, and I think if you've been here for a while, you realize that uh, Pastor Chris, our lead pastor, has, taken, has been taking us through uh, portions of Acts. And I, I hope you've been uh, just challenged and, and changed by it. If you are here last week, you know uh, what an amazing service we had last week. If you weren't here last week, I'm sorry, you missed out. There's just... There's just no getting around it. I mean, if you missed the Disneyland trip, right, missed Disney World, you just missed it. There's, people can tell you about it, but unless you experience it, you're not going to know. Go to Disney World, for crying out loud. Then you'll know what that experience is like. That was, that was us. It was Disney World last, last Sunday. We had a Pastor Jude and Pastor Becky Fuquay from the City Church in Ventura. Uh, there been a special couple of ministers to our church for a long time. I think I was 12 years old when I went to McCall for my first summer camp, and the guest speaker that was up there was this youth pastor uh, that was just wild in passion. I think we only had 80 kids, but I felt like he was preaching to like a crowd of like 5,000 people. And if you know uh, Pastor Jude and Becky, that's how they've lived, and that's how they live their life. Um, the crowd don't determine their belief in Jesus. They just have such a value and love for Jesus that uh, they're just full of energy and faith. I really believe this. There's a deposit that was just uh, left in, in our church, and I think it's something that uh, God just continues to call us to run with uh, when there's words spoken. There's those prophetic times and moments, and I think that was one of those. So we're grateful for them. Uh, this Sunday, come on, it's no different. It's, it's Disney World today. I'm not Pastor Jude, but we do have the Bible in front of us. And if you didn't bring it, it's on, your, it's on the screens. We make it easy for you. Um, my mom the other day was very concerned. She's like, hon, are people, uh, are people not reading their Bible? Do they not have real Bibles anymore? You know, because we, we go here, right? And so she's concerned with our, our youngsters. She's like, are, do, they, do they even know how to look up a passage in Scripture? I'm like, mom, that's a very, very valid point. I, I think... Uh, a lot of them do not. Uh, but here at, in this youth ministry, we're making sure that they're less acquainted with this and more acquainted with this. Uh, and I tell you what, God's doing something awesome in our, in our youth ministry. As those that you know, uh, Pastor Mark and Pastor Rochelle, Francie were our youth pastors for many, many years. And they're now on the adventure of a lifetime, being lead pastors, pioneering an uh, incredible movement, a church called Ocean's Church uh, in Southern California. Uh, but over the years, they've done just a phenomenal job leading and raising up incredible youth leaders. And so just even this last Wednesday, as cool, is our invite night. And uh, we had uh, kids inviting friends from their schools to church, some for the first time, like ever encountering like the presence of Jesus. Like what does a community of faith look like for the first time. And it was, it was awesome. We had like 14 people say yes to Jesus when the night was over. Friendships were made. People were signing up for camp. Yeah, you can give a hand to that. I think that's it's amazing. And uh, it's, just, it's amazing what God's doing in the life of our young people uh, within this church. And so 
Uh, I encourage you, if you are, if you're parents and you have students who are elementary, get them connected in our Capital Kids ministry. You saw uh, Kerrigan and Madeline as they transitioned. They're just some phenomenal people, a great couple that's uh, raising a really strong, awesome kids team. But also in our junior high and high school, if you have kids in junior high school, do yourself, please, parents, hear me on this, do yourself a favor. Make the investment. Send your kids to camp. My goodness, it'll give you a break. Not only will it give you a break for like a week, they'll come back and you're like, okay, what happened to, what happened to little Kenny? Where did he go? Little Bobby, you are not the same kid. What did they do with you? I like this version way better. And that's just because they spent some time taking a break from electronics and social media. And they were just serious about being introduced to the word, the Bible that will change their lives. And so God's not a respecter of age groups. Amen. So he, he can minister, and he does all the time to the kids uh, in, in this community as well as the adults. And so please make that July 15th through the 22nd and that week uh, a major priority. Camps for kids uh, are VBS, Vacation Bible uh, School starts tomorrow. And so make sure that they're part of that. Sign up in the back. Why is that important to plug? Does it have anything to do with your message? Well, well yeah, because this is what the church is, is all about. We're part of this. We're in this together. All right, little segue. Here we go. Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. Pastor Chris has been leading us in this series called I Believe, Now What? I don't think it's just enough to believe. There has to be some action that's associated to one's belief. Jesus says this to the disciples as they're gathered together in this room. As he's about ready to ascend to heaven, he leaves with some instruction. He says, so when they came together, they asked, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said, it's not for you to know the times and seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, how I read this is I read this like I'm on a road trip with my kids. And we leave, we don't even get out of the Treasure Valley on our way, let's say, to Disneyland. And they're asking me, are we there yet? And I turn around and say, it is not time for you to know the mile markers or the season. I'm not going to give you, son, an update every mile. That's my priority. That's my objective. That's, that's my uh, purpose. That's my responsibility. You just get to sit there. Check this out. All you get to do, you get to sit there and you get to be on a device. But you know what? You just, now what I do, what I do now is I, I take the device away. You get to sit there and stare out the window. Come on, people. Road trip. Like, you get to listen to, like, your favorite tunes. Back in the day, mine, I really was inspired by, no kidding, Amy Grant and Mike W. Smith. Oh, put the song on, Dad, again. Stephen Curtis Chapman, go west, young man. I just felt like, come on now, right? Michael, there you are. So we have the windows down. That's what you get to do. And as parents, we get to drive and get you to the destination. Is that really how Acts reads? Well, a little bit, because it says that it's God's responsibility, and it's his role because he has fixed a time for every season, meaning he is on his way to getting us where he has taken us. Heavens and earth coming together. God take, making a complete uh, end of the old and bringing in a new beginning of his, of his kingdom. Well, guess what? It, it takes time for that. I tell my kids, we're not in Disneyland yet, but we're on our way to Disneyland. So what you get to do, you get to enjoy the journey. 
And I, I think this is, this is for us. This is for the church. We don't know times, seasons, variables. Not every question that we ask, and you're going to find this today in this message, is going to be answered. Our role is not to know the future. It's not to figure everything out. You'll go crazy trying to do that. Our role, our task is to do what Jesus asked us to do. You're going to sit for a moment and you're going to wait. And when you wait together, you're just not going to wait just for nothing, but you're going to wait for a promise. The promise is the very spirit of God. I'm not going to leave you by yourself, but as I go to heaven, ascend to heaven and sit at the right hand of the Father, I'm going to send his, he's, his the Father sent his very spirit. The stuff that the spirit does is going to be uh, around you, in you, and move through you. You get to wait for the spirit of God. He's going to overshadow you. He's going to empower you, not so that you could be a powerful but so that you can now be an effective witnesses in your community. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and what? To the ends of the earth. He's saying you can't do this by yourself. You've tried that. You can't do this just with a group of two or three people. You've tried that. This requires the assistance and the accompaniment of the very Spirit of God himself. And if you've been listening over the last several weeks, Pastor Chris even asked the question, where did the disciples, where they get their strength? How do they handle Suffering. Question that I've kind of added today is how do they overcome limitations, disabilities, setbacks, fears? How do, how do they do that and, and do it so well? Well, the answer is this, and it's already been asked and answered in the last couple Sundays. The answer is that their view of Jesus was greater than anything else. I Meaning they actually, what they believe, they actually started to live out. And I think the problem that we fall into at times is we believe God is near in theory. But we don't actually live it out in reality. So it's like our believing and our living, they're, they're not on the same page. We believe what we flip through and read about and say, oh, that sounds good. I'm going to apply that to myself. But then the day progresses, minutes later, hours later, and we forget necessarily what we believe. And we've fallen into either a fear or a limitation or some type of uh, hold that has been vexing in our life. And we start to believe that more than we actually believe the truth of who God is and what he says he's going to do in and through our life. I just wonder, what would happen if our believing, like our real true believing, like what we sang today, like where atmospheres of faith filled the room and the environment, wherever we're at, workplace, uh, in front of the mirror, as we're making food in the kitchen, as we're walking throughout our neighborhood. What if we really believe that the atmosphere of faith wasn't just filled within a church setting, but my goodness, it was filled in our Honda Pilots. It was filled, whatever car you drive, that's what I drive. If it was, it was filled in our walking, our dog down the street, it was filled when we said hello to our neighbors, like the very atmosphere of our life, come on, as containers, as a place where the Holy Spirit abides, was so filled that we, in simple conversation with someone, difference would take place, change would take place. That, that's, that's the idea of what it is to follow Jesus. Christianity is, is about learning to be filled with the things that the Holy Spirit does. It's learning to recognize, and this has been like just a kind of a mission story I've been on. It's, it's learning to recognize when the Spirit moves and speaks and says something, because he does this. He speaks to us in ways, I'm telling you, that make perfect sense to every, every audience member. Every person curious, every person leaning in. Guess what? I'm, I'm guarantee, I guarantee this. God speaks to you in ways that make perfect sense. Our job is not to say, God, are we there yet? What's the destination look like? Our job on the journey is to enjoy it and have ears to hear, okay, what is it that you're saying? How do I play? Come on. How is my part played out uh, in this, this bigger story? And guess what? God, God speaks to you and he'll give instruction. I want to look at a character over the next few moments. 
uh, in Old Testament. We're going to Old Testament this, this morning. Um, and this is the, this is the life of, of Moses. I want you to consider for a moment the call of God to the life of this, this individual by the name of Moses. I think when you look at the life of Moses, you're going to see uh, kind of the, the story, the idea that the limitations of man, especially in the life of Moses, are met by the advantage of God. He had a list of limitations. His, his life represented limitation. Uh, his, his start wasn't the best. But I love the fact that in the book of Exodus, chapter 3 and chapter 4, you see God comes to Moses. It says he was at the backside of a desert. I don't know the difference between the front side and the back side of the desert. It just sounds like the back side of the desert is worse than the front side of the desert. It might be a lot hotter. I don't know. It's just, you just don't want to be on the back side of the deserts. And Kerrigan, he talked about he was in the back of the building. Come on. We brought him to the front where we could see him. Uh, the desert is not a place, number one, where you want to hide out. It's not a place where you want to fully live, unless it's Boise, Idaho. Come on. And we're a high desert plateau. But this isn't the type of desert that Moses is, is in. He's in a place of hiding. He's, he's, he thinks he's in a place that no one else, that no one from his former days know where he's at. Uh, but I just love the fact that God doesn't come to Moses when his life is put together. Come on. God doesn't come to him when he's figured everything out. And he's really like, man, he's, he's in the zone. He's found the best version of himself. And he's just, he's excelling at everything he puts his hands in. You know, it's the very opposite. He's probably wearing shame and fear and regret and guilt. Why? Because his life up to that point. What was his life up to that point? Well, his life up to that point when God says, hey, Moses, it's time to go. I don't know if you've ever feel like there's been areas of your life that's been wrecked and you get this sense that God's trying to speak to you and you're like no way I know you're not talking to me because if you knew me there's no way you would ask me to do that assignment you must it must have gotten me mistaken I get that a lot like you must have gotten me mistaken for for someone else that's definitely not me I love the fact that uh, Moses was he, he had this problem this struggle that that God was speaking to him, but it couldn't have been God speaking to him. It must have been someone else that he was thinking about. And God knew perfectly well who Moses is. His very name, I love it, means to draw out or to bring out. Meaning his name was a prophetic reflection of what his vocation, his calling would be. He's in hiding now. Don't you love it? He's in hiding. He's scared. Why? Well, because he had a lot of limitations that were, were against him. Number one, he, was, he had to leave his home uh, as, as a young baby. His mom had to uh, give him up so that she could set him free, so that she can keep him alive. Why? Because there was uh, genocide that was taking place. He was target of it because of who he was as a male Hebrew child. Uh, we know that he was a Levite being raised in a pagan household. He had some serious anger issues. If you read through just the, the life of Mo Moses, I mean, he saw injustice and instead of handi handling injustice in an appropriate way, what does he do? He says he looks right and left. He kills uh, this Egyptian who was messing with some of his own friends, these Hebrew men. He kills him, and he looks right and left, and he buries, check this out, he buries his body in the sand. That's what the Bible says. Like, that's what, like, now, that's what crime documentaries are made of, like, right now. Like, literally, this, can, he killed a man Looked right, looked left, make sure no one was looking, dug a hole, put the body 
in the sand, and then now is a runaway, and now he's on the backside of a desert in hiding. Come on. That would be an incredible crime documentary right now. Moses, we found you. We ran the DNA. We went through all the scientific research and testing. You can't run from us, but that's not what God was doing. God shows up on the scene knowing that he's a runaway knowing that he was abandoned, knowing that he was raised uh, in a different household, knowing that he was a murderer, knowing that he had some serious anger problems that took a while for God to work out in his life, knowing that now he was fearful for his life. Why? Because Pharaoh was after him. God knew before he called him what his name meant, what he represented. God knew the state and frustration that he's at right now. He goes from the household of Pharaoh to a poor, overwhelmed, condition in a desert state. And God shows up and says, it is time now, Moses, to go back. My goodness. Then Moses says, Lord, I'm not eloquent, neither before nor since you've spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech, slow of tongue. I love that he said that, but he said that after God did something. If you read all of Exodus chapter 4, Moses says, how, number one, he asked this question that we all ask. Who am I? Like, you're calling me to do this, but God, who, who am I? I Meaning, there's got to be, there's, there's someone else that you're talking about. It's, it's not me. Who am I? I love God's response. He didn't say, Moses, you're the son of so-and-so. Your name means this. You were brought from here to there. Da, 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 da. He doesn't do that. His response to Moses, when Moses says, who am I? He says, I will certainly be with you. Well, I, I love what he's doing. He's like, you'll eventually know who you are. But first, you're going to have to know who I am. And then knowing who I you got to get the order right. And knowing who I am, guess what? Then you'll really be able to understand who you are. See, in our day and age, we try to answer the question, who am I? We're searching for our true identity, our true self, all this, without giving attention and focus on, wait a minute, who are you, God? The creator of the heavens and the earth, the creator of my life. The very fact that I can speak words is because you are the author of my days, of my seconds, of my years. And so Moses has to understand this, what God's doing. God's not saying, you're going to be all these things right now. Uh, He's saying, it's all about looking, focusing on me. And what God does with the life of Moses is pretty amazing. He does this, and it's a process. He takes him from self-reflection, and he moves him towards God-reflection. See, because he was limited, meaning believing and behavior, they have to come together. Like what? my behavior is, what my living is, is actually what my true behavior or my true belief system is. I might say I believe this, but then I have to match it up with what I live, what I walk out. See, the, the, the real belief system is what we can see evident in our day-to-day activity in our life. And for Moses, he might have believed in the idea of God, but he didn't live as though God existed and that God was more powerful than his limitations. Actually, what Moses was dealing with was a major worship problem. He was worshiping his limitations. He was worshiping his disabilities by being subjected to them, by being limited by them. And he wasn't giving God the right space and the time to show that he is above every limitation, he's above every restriction, he's above every disability. When Moses says, I have a speech problem, and I have a stammering problem, and even since we've been talking, he even says, my tongue hasn't got better. That was after God did something brilliant. Number one, God is talking to Moses from a bush that's on fire. Like, when's the last time you did that? Have you ever talked to a tree that was on fire, but the tree wasn't burning, and it's speaking to you? No. 
you would leave that experience completely changed. I guarantee you. Church service at Capitol Church on 11 would never look the same again. You'd be telling everyone about it. But it wasn't just that. He then had, he said, what's in your hand? It was a rod. He goes, throw down, Moses. Moses throws the rod down. Moses, pick it up. Pick it up. Picks it up. Actually, he throws it down. He didn't, it turned into a serpent. Then he says, pick it up. Moses grabs it by the tail. It turns back into a rod. He then says, Moses, put your hand in your pocket. He puts his hand in his pocket, pulls it back out. He says, pull it out. And his hand it says it was leprous. It was white as snow. God's speaking from a burning bush, people. A uh, piece of wood turned to a serpent. His hand's now leprous. And he goes, now put it back in your pocket. Puts it back in his pocket. Now pull it out. What do you see? Completely healed, put in its right place. All fingers, all digits there. And then Moses says, well, what about my speech problem? <laughs> See, I think we relate more to Moses than we think we do. Because God does all these incredible signs and wonders within our midst. And then where it's silly to take something like speech and say, well, you've done all those things. It's evidence you are who you say you are. But what about my mouth? Then he goes, Moses, who, who made your mouth? See, I love the fact that God is, is patient. If God wasn't patient, there would be a room of two people here today. And I don't know if it's me or you. I don't know who it would be. There would be a few of us. But the very fact that God is patient is, I think, a breath of fresh air for us this morning. Meaning, he knows that we're going to give a reaction to his call. But I love this. He gets us to a place where we stop reacting and we just start responding. How do we start responding? When we start seeing that God is bigger and greater than anything that we face. That every limitation piled up and we place in front of God, not for one moment makes him uh, trip or stutter or think of plan B or C. He's always on mission, meaning this, God with you, you got to hear this, is enough. The presence of God right now in your life, in your story, is enough. The fact that God is with you is your advantage and my advantage. And I love this. God is our advantage over every, I want you to hear this, every disadvantage. Meaning every limitation that you have and I have is always met by the possibility and by the very presence and the advantage of who God is. Moses says, who am I? And God says, I will certainly be with you. I mean, it's, it's not the right question. It's not the right time. Eventually, I'll help you answer that. But first, you have to get your focus and your worship right. You have to get the order of life right. See, Moses, I found you when you were at your worst. And at your worst, don't you love this? At your worst, I called you to something great. See, we got to be careful to think that it's all about us getting our life put together. And then the preacher comes in. And then the person who operates the prophetic comes in and gives you that just brilliant word that you've been wanting for and waiting for all of your life. When God says, listen, you have access to my word, my voice, every single day of your life. And you don't do a thing to put your life together except for just say yes to God. And saying yes to Jesus, it's amazing how he takes the limitations and disabilities. He turns them around and does something marvelous through them. He says, I'm not eloquent, neither in past nor since spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech and tongue. I love what, what God says. He goes, who made the mouth? And he says this, I will. He says, now therefore, go. Look at this in the verse, verse 12. It says, now therefore, go. I will be with your mouth 
and I'll teach you what to say. Keep that up there. Look at that. Now, therefore, go. I will be with Moses. Yes, but he's even more specific. To Moses, his mouth was his limitation and his disability. Check this out. He goes, now, therefore, go, and I will be with your disability, and I'll teach you what you shall say. See, what we do is we worship our disability, and we let, it, we let it bind us. We let it say, Shane, you get to go this far because this is the limitation on your life. Guess what? Sorry, man. That's just a lot that you've drawn. You can't go past it. And God says, well, where is that in the text? What I'm saying to you, Shane, is that you get to go this far and farther because I'm not only going to be with you, but I'm also going to be with the disability. And I'm going to make sure that the disability and that limitation that you think is holding is not holding in comparison to what I can do in and through your life. The same as what's true for Moses is, come on, is true for us today. What we know about God is this. When he speaks to, when he speaks to Moses uh, in the earlier chapter, chapter 3, he says, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. He goes, I know their sufferings, and I know I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of the land to a good land, broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. What, what is he saying? He's saying this. Moses, guess what? I just haven't been acquainted and acquired with your story right now. I've always seen you. He says this. This is the encouragement. I've seen the suffering. I've seen the hidden sin. When you look right and left before you bury the body, yeah, I, I saw you. A couple other people saw you too. That's why you ran, but yeah, I saw you. When you've been hiding in sin all these years, guess what? I've seen you. But I'm so grateful that we just don't serve a, a watching God. We serve like a present God. So not only has he seen us, but he also goes, not only have I seen you, uh, but, I, but I've heard the cries of my people who've been oppressed, who've been in slavery, who've been in bondage. So I see, I hear their cries. And he goes this, I know their suffering, meaning this, at every level and variable of our life, no matter what we've gone through, guess what? God can relate in every degree. He goes, I relate with everybody. But I'm so grateful that this morning, just like in time past and time pre in future, we just don't see a God who, we just don't witness a God who sees us and hears us and knows, but we serve a God who also delivers. And check this out, leads us up out of old destructive habits in places into a new way of living, into a new land. See, there's, there's people, I know, there's people here today that you've looked right and left and you haven't, I hope you haven't buried a body. If so, turn yourself in. But you get the point. You, there's hidden sins within your life. You look right, look left, no one sees me. You've allowed that to shape you and to be in this oppressive force in your life. Uh, when God's saying, you don't have to live like that. You don't have to be under the bondage of sin. You don't have to live with darkness as your story, especially since I've come. I sent my son to set you free, not just in a moment, not just from one sin, but from the entirety in the, the stronghold and the grip of sin. I've come to deliver you. I bring you, come on, up, out of the old habits, old places, into a new story, a story that is led and carried by, by Jesus. See, every excuse that Moses had was met by the response uh, that I will certainly be with you. And he says, well, what, if, what name do I use? And God says, I am. What's I am? It's I am that I'm, uh, I am that I am. I'm everything that I need to be. Meaning, right now in your story, right now, like not waiting for tomorrow or not waiting until you hit a certain age or when you have enough money in the bank account, but like right now, like not when you, your body starts feeling better or not like when you finally get the, the doctor report that you wanted, but like right now, like a 
Belief and behavior are to go together. And we, we're saying that we serve a God who knows the end from the beginning, who's all-powerful. That means, like, right now, everything that we need, we have, that God's given us to be victorious in the seasons and variables of our life. Why? Because I will certainly be with you. But this limitation, but this disability, but this, but, yeah. But Moses, I will certainly be with you. We're going to walk through all those. And I'm going to show you that through your limitation, guess what? I'm going to work a victory within your life and your day. Something that you're not, you're going to look back and shake your head. Look what God has done. We see that he's completely faithful. Meaning that with God, there's not failure in his nature and character. He's always present. Abandonment is not in the hearts and the character of God. He doesn't fail. He doesn't abandon. He doesn't have a question like, man, should I keep up with his people? No. He loves us in the worst places. Come on, I want you to hear this. Of our lives. In the lowest point of your story, God loves you more than anything you can imagine. In the highest place, in the victorious place of your story, God's loved you more than you can imagine. Anything in between, God's loved you more than you can imagine. Moses, it's time to get up and go. Person, it's time to get up and go. Friend, it's time to get up and go from the store that's kind of held you down. I'm telling you, this is... This is not just a year. This is what being a Christian is all about. It's actually believing in God more than you believe in yourself. It's actually believing that what he has done and set in motion, that we are on the way to something new, something that is not like the old, something that is going to be redeemed. We are on the way to, to seeing what it looks like, new heavens and new earth. You might say, are we there yet? He says, don't worry if you're there yet. Let me take care of that. You worry about Acts 1-8 being filled with with the power of the Holy Spirit, and at the right time, the right place, guess what? You're going to be effective witness to your neighborhood, to the person in your workplace, to your city, to the nation, and the nations of the world. Limitations, are they binding? Absolutely. But we know this, that God sees us, he hears us, he knows us, he delivers us, he leads us up out of destructive places and paths. He is complete in detail. Failure is not in him. Abandonment is not in him. Uh, we see that the psalmist even recites this on the same topic, Psalms 139, verses 7 through 12, where he says, Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I send to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the othermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. It says, in your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light be me by uh, night, even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is bright as day, for darkness is as light to you. What's the psalmist saying? The psalmist is painting the picture that certainly, I want you certainly, not maybe, but certainly God is with us. Meaning, there's no place you can go. There's no situation, there's no hallway, there's no story, there's not a news report in your life that's grave enough that it moves God out from where he's always been. And that's right next to you, in you, through you, and moving within your life. He's unmatched. He's all-powerful. Jeremiah 32, 17 says, uh, it is you who made the heavens and the earth, and by your great power and by your outstretched arm, nothing is too hard for you. Dr. Luke says, what is impossible with man is what? Possible with God. Mark says, when uh, it is impossible with men, it's not with God. For with God, look at this, all things are possible. We read it. We listen to it. 
but does our behavior match the story? See, but you will receive power, this promise here. Like God's, like Jesus' exit speech, his last instructions, but not final instructions. Just as he was here presently, as he ascends to heaven, he says, guess what? The spirit of God is going to come, the very paraclete. You're not going to be by yourself, but you get the, you get the comforter. And you get to be the church around the, entire, around the entire world. You get to be the representative, the reflection of who Jesus Christ is. He says, you receive power and the Holy Spirit comes on you to be witnesses of me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, into the ends of the earth. See, we know this, that this promise, it, it holds true irregardless of one's personal limitations or setbacks. Uh, the truth that was delivered here in this household, uh, it was delivered to, just think about it, a house full of misfits, the underqualified, the broken, mistake-ridden individuals. And it was these individuals, think about it, that God used to change the entire, entire world. Circumstances didn't change. Even their stature didn't change. The only thing that was now different was this certain, clear, concrete belief that God is with us and he'll always be with us. The accompaniment changed. And this is what did it for these disciples, the ones who were fearful. Remember Peter, he had his moment when he was first Simon and says, Jesus says, you're Simon, but you shall one day be Peter, right? You shall be Cephas. You're going to go from reed to rock. There was a process of development that took place in his faith. But he eventually got to the point, I want you to think about where every disciple except for John, their end, their death is not something that you'd wish on yourself. It was martyrdom. So what would cause and create people like this to live this story out even if announcing their belief and their faith in Jesus would would end in a gruesome death. Well, it's this belief that Jesus is the greatest reality above anything and everything else. And that's what changed the early church. That's also what eventually changed Moses when he realized that it wasn't just God speaking. It wasn't just this idea or this theory, but the reality that God is with him forever and always became the greatest reality. And he was able to do what other people were not able to do. Why? Because he actually really believed and his believing it moved into, it bled into his living and his behavior, and God used him to also help change the world. See, Moses still had to move out in faith under the orders of heaven. The disciples, they had to leave the safety of their homes to live out the mission of God. It wasn't like even when Moses had all these excuses, and the worst thing could come up, because I want to respond to this message just as, as we did earlier as, as we worship. And I'm believing that even today in, in this atmosphere, that there's limitations that you've allowed your life uh, or in your life or they're, they're, just, they're a present reality, but you've almost made them like the greatest reality. Like this is what I've experienced. This is what I've gone through. There's some limitations that are physical and visible. There's other limitations that are eternal. Uh, there, there are limitations of mind, limitations of belief. Uh, there's limitations of what we can do physically. There's disabilities, both natural and, and, and spiritual, uh, that if we're not careful, we've just allowed kind of that story to be the loudest story and that to be the loudest narrative in our life. When God says, listen, it's all about changing your focus today. Uh, guess what? The, the disability might not even change today, but what will change today is your perspective. Your worship will change today. Instead of giving so much energy and time and attention, man, to the worship of what you can't do, how about you start directing that energy, that time and attention on what God can do? The reason why I like personal limitations, to be honest, you ready? The reason why I like personal limitations is this, because it teaches me to lean the right way. 
What is what is uh, Paul said? He says, and we have such trust through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. Personal limitations in my life, I can let them be the altar what I worship, or I can say, God, what you've what has happened to me, the limitations of my life, they can either write a story that I buy into that's depressing and dead end. Or I can say, God, thank you that you're above the limitations. I choose today to lean, not on that, but lean on your ability, your sufficiency. Not only are personal limitations good in the fact that they teach me which way to lean, but personal limitations are good in the fact that they ensure that the right person, the right source gets the credit. It says, but God has chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. Come on, this is our promise. Who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let one boast, let the one who boasts, boast what? Not himself, but boast in the Lord. I love this. Moses, and you can read this, and I'm almost done here, Exodus chapter 3 and 4, when he brought all those limitations, and he was very clear about it, because I really believe he thought, God, you have the wrong individual. And I know you have the wrong individual, because this is all of my disabilities and limitations. I love the fact that God says, Mo, he wasn't like the American Idol mom, who you, you, you sing, and the whole world knows that that voice is horrific. But it's the mom saying, baby girl, you are so good. They just don't recognize talent when they see talent, right? You know that. That's the, that's that's our reality television right now. No, the person is bad. They have a horrible voice. Mo God wasn't like that to Moses. No, Moses, come on. You're, you're not all those things. Come on, you just, you just, you got the wrong. No, no, he didn't even, he didn't even correct it for Moses. I think what he's being said here is like, yeah, Moses, you are all those things. And there's actually, because I'm God and I see all, there's some things you missed. <laughs> like you painted, even as, as a wreck, that sounds like you're even worse than that. Just if, if we want to be honest and clear, if, if, if it's a vulnerable moment here. He's saying, you think you're just that? No, 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 you're, you're far worse than that. You're bent in, in the opposite direction of who I am. But because I'm full of grace and full of mercy, I'm coming to your place of where you're wrecked and limited and paralyzed, and I'm giving you a new hope. I'm giving you life. This is, come on, this is, this is the story of Acts. This is the story of the gospel. The, the Holy Spirit, the, the stuff that the Spirit does, what? He comes to our life right where we're at, not when we're all put together, but he understands that we can't be a witness of who he is all by ourselves. That's why it's so important that you wait and you, you tune your ear to what heaven is saying. And all we have to do is we just have to say, okay, yes, regardless of myself, despite myself, God, thank you that, that you use me. You know, I love the fact, uh, looking back, just hearing some, and looking through stories of individuals. One of my favorite people in, in the, the whole world was this, this young man by the name um, of Travis. And he was in our youth ministry. We were about the same age. He's like a year ahead of me. Um, and Travis was, he was limited to life in a wheelchair. And I remember uh, Jason the Baptizer, that's what I call him. He's the guy up here uh, helping us with our water baptism. Uh, Jason would pick up Travis pretty much every, every Wednesday, every Sunday, load him up in his truck, drive him to church. And Travis would, on good days, there's sometimes he had some mobility and he was 
pushed in uh, his chair. Other days he would ride his electric wheelchair in, and he had mobility just of his kind of uh, just wrist extremities. And he would wheel in and he'd be up here and man, worship would start. And I, I would put track, even to this day, I've watched Hillsong, just seen incredible worship. I think we have an incredible worship experience here at Capitol. I've seen some of you just live your life of worship, but I still don't know if there's anyone that out matches Travis and his ability to worship. The funny thing about it is he, he couldn't move much. On the really, come on, the ones that the, those new songs are introduced and we like, like to move to, he could sometimes get his, uh, his torso swaying a little bit. But most of the time, it was like, it was right here. You're like, how in the world is like, that's like the most extravagant worship you've ever seen? Yeah, because this is about all he could do. He could move from here to about right here. And he had the biggest smile. He's, he's in heaven right now. We celebrated him a number of years ago. Uh, and love the fact he had the biggest smile in the world. And there'd be an opportunity to worship. And Travis, is he's in the very presence of it. What am I saying? I'm saying that is something that's a, a physical. You can see it's a natural disability. But I love the fact that even in that state, Travis didn't allow that to dictate what he, his response to the king of the universe. Why? Because Travis actually lived out and believed that God was the greatest reality in his life. Did Travis ever hop out of the wheelchair at, at every healing altar call he went to? And he probably went to more healing altar calls than anyone in this room. He'd be the first there. Did he believe that God was the healer? Absolutely. Did we see the sign of it manifest in him getting up out of his chair and running around the room, which is which has happened in the stories of the documented stories of that? No. But he wasn't determining and defining God based on what he thinks God should do. He defined him by what and who God says he is, irregardless of the atmospheres and environments. And man, that guy just, he set the bar, what it is to worship God with his entire life. I don't think he missed a youth camp. Uh, and he had to be vulnerable too. He had to be picked up out of his, his wheelchair. He had to be sat on a toilet to go to the restroom. He, he had to be put into the shower, put back into his wheelchair. And I'll tell you what, I gotta, I, I've had to even check myself a, a while. Is like, listen, you got all your extremities working. You're walking just fine. You're running just fine. You're eating just fine. And you're struggling? Come on. In this belief that God is the greatest reality ever, when this young man sets the example of, come on, what it is and the limitations. Now, listen, it, it's, it's external, but it's also internal. You know, I, I, was, I was a little heavy this week, but thank goodness for the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, we had um, two made key figures in the culinary world and design world just in their life. And our job as a church is not to like, okay, what, what should have done? What should have happened? What were they? What were they into? This and that. No, our job's not to critique at all. Our job is to do what the, God's called the church to do. And that's to live big, extravagant lives. How do we do that? By making sure that every day we remind ourselves that we're not limited by our disabilities and limitations. Come on, but we're set free by the power and the achievements and the accompaniment of the Holy Spirit himself. And we get to be the, come on, the church to the community. We get to talk to the coworker. We get to talk to the person that seems like they're sad. We don't have to wait for someone else to do it. Come on, God's given us the mission. He's given us the responsibility. We don't have to do it by ourselves. 
I wonder if you could just, just stand this morning. I'm actually, I'm really excited. I feel like, hopefully it didn't come off too heavy. I'm, I'm really excited. Everyone can stand with me. Woo, here we go. We're going to go into, we're going to go into a worship song. But I already felt this today, even, even coming here. It's like, man, there's so many people that they've allowed their limitations. They've allowed whatever it is, their disabilities, naturally, even spiritually. There's some of you that you're like, man, I relate with Moses. I'm not necessarily in the backside of a desert, and I didn't kill a man, but I've been living in sin. I've been full of shame. I've been full of regret, full of fear. And I'm telling you, friend, that you don't have to leave this auditorium being like that, feeling like that, being that your identity any longer, especially when God says, I'm here to bring you up out of that place, come on, into a new land. Can you just bow your heads, close your eyes with me? Thanks for listening to this week's message from Capital Christian. We hope you will stay connected by following us online. To find out more information, visit us at capitalchristian.com.